Thank you for joining the Capital Church Podcast. We believe that Jesus is for you and that through these expressions of our community, you will find hope, healing, and belonging. To learn more, join us live every week online and visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Quick, if you have a youth high school, junior high, um, you can have them dismissed just out the side door and towards that, what is that, northwest end of the, you'll, you'll, there's lights and there's kids signs, so you can be seated. But if, yeah, if you got high school students, junior high students, maybe uh, you don't have them with you today, I don't know, maybe you lost them, but if you find them and bring them back next week, um, every Sunday, uh, not every Sunday, it's the every other Sunday, uh, we have our high school and junior high where they'll break out and are with the team. It's awesome. And man, we got a great youth ministry. Just a little plug here. Every Wednesday night at seven o'clock, just a great group of kids and awesome, awesome team of leaders that are just pouring into them. Tracy mentioned, but we already had our high school camp and it was, it was, it was fabulous. I mean, we got a great group of, of, of youngsters that are just passionate about Jesus. And you can rest assured, I might, I might do this at the end. So maybe remind me if I forget, but I felt like that, especially in this service, there's some parents that I just want to pray for, um, that you just, you know, you just need set free from a spirit of fear specifically that's targeted with your kids. And you just need to, I don't know, there's a grace for it this morning. Just felt like the Holy Spirit says, listen, let's pray for some parents who just been just struggling with letting their kids go in, in God. Uh, trusting the process, right? Trusting the fact that God's got every, everything under control. So if I forget, someone's going to remind me, and we'll just, before we dismiss um, the service, we'd love to pray for some of you who that's fitting for. Uh, but you can, you can rest assured, I really believe it. We are, I think we're in good hands. Um, I, I love the, the Zers. The G, that, that Generation Z. Uh, there's just something special about him. And this is all of our, our challenge um, as, come on, those who are believers in Jesus. We have a responsibility just to continue just to pray for that generation because, man, when they get a hold of the goodness of God and the reality of God, it's amazing what they're bold enough to do uh, and the places they'll go to make a difference and an influence. And so please, please, please don't get down on the generation uh, that's, that's the, the younger of us, but encourage them with your words. Uh, and, and raise your eyes. I mentioned this to second or the first service. Do you know there's, um, I said thousands of people coming to know Jesus every single day, but I talked to Dr. Stan Fleming. He goes, actually, it's, it's tens of thousands. He goes, matter of fact, um, we can take confidence that there's more people coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus today than any time in past history. That there are tens of thousands of people on a regular basis having their eyes open to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And so, yeah. Why are you leading with that? Well, I'm leading with that just so that we just kind of set the tone of our own hearts and rights right. Uh, I think that if we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the wrong story and we get caught up uh, looking in the wrong direction and we don't spend time to consider that there are miracles happening all around us and that God is always at work. He doesn't take, I know preachers said he didn't take time off and he doesn't. 
Uh, he's the God who, who ministers in hearts and lives and families and in pockets of culture and in places that we're not even aware of. God is God is moving in life and transforming people's hearts and mind. Today, too, there's no exception. Today, uh, God is moving in this place. Uh, and whatever your story is, whatever you're going through, I'm confident that God knows it perfectly well, fully. And he knows everything that's needed for, come on, for success. Amen? All right. That's just... That's just how we get started, okay? So bring your kids, you know, get them into seven o'clock uh, Wednesday nights, youth service, and on Sundays. Uh, is anyone, we're, I, know, I, I take it back, you, you've all been asked this question. Um, you've been asked the question, you ready? Uh, who are you? Or it's like, who are you? Or it depends on how you, your dialect. Uh, who are you? Um, and I answer that question right most of the time. <laughs> right, I, like, I start off with, I give them my name. Um, and so, and it's, it's mostly fluid, but there's, there's times that I, I tell the person my name, and then for some reason I just kind of get stuck in neutral. I don't know if you've ever been there. Like, okay, Shane, where are we going from here? Like, what's after, what's after this? Like, my name is Shane. Okay, what else about you? Um, and I thought, you know, it'd be a lot easier sometimes just to tell them my name and then run a circle around them real fast. And the reason I do that, because kids do that all the time, and it seems to work out really good for them. <laughs> then we become adults, and we just make everything complicated. I would love to see more of that. Just you introduce yourself, and then you take off running. Like, my name's Donnie, and you take off running, and you're looking down at your arms, because you're just amazed how fast they're moving. <laughs> and you circle the person who's asking about you, and then you share lunch with them that same day. You split lunch, and then you're best friends for life. Um, it's like going through a drive-thru, too. Another thing that throws me off, too, is when I go through a drive-thru and the person at the window says, and they really want to know, like, what are you up to today? And then I'm like, well, how much time do you have? Like, <laughs> where, where should we begin? Normally, it just, I default to not much. And then I drive away, and I'm like, man, I should probably do more with my life. Like... <laughs> Come on, you've been there like, really? That's what you gave them? That's the answer you gave them? Not much. Um, but kind of all jokes that I really think sometimes if we're not careful, the question who you are, it, it becomes almost like synonymous for what you do. And so we default to answering that question with the response of I am, and you explain your profession. You might explain some of the achievements that you've been able to accomplish in life. You might explain who you're related to. You might explain um, things other than who you really are, right? And there, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just don't think it's a complete picture. It's not the full story. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we'll get stuck in that question because we're probably still trying to figure that out to some degree as well. And even when we come to like how you explain yourself yourself or your desired self to someone or what you're looking for. We typically can use uh, like traits to describe us or the desired self we want to be. Traits like this, like we want to be influential, successful, intelligent, attractive, innovative, someone who exudes authority, uh, someone who is just naturally charismatic, in, insightful, persuasive, decisive. I don't think there's anything wrong with all of these traits necessarily. Matter of fact, 
Most of them are a plus, right? Um, I don't think I've ever, ever in my life heard someone yelling at the skies, beating their chests and says, God, why, God, why have you made me so attractive <laughs> and so successful? Like you've never, you've never prayed that, you've never declared that and I don't think you've, you've heard that. No, I mean, most of those traits are plus, especially when they're used on mission, on purpose with what God wants to do in and through our life. But the thing that's interesting about them, and I got this from one of my professors, it's those same words and those same traits can be used to describe the devil to some degree. So the point is uh, we got to be careful making sure that we are living from the right story, that we're not first our profession. We're not first our personality trait. We're not first um, a certain characteristic about us, but we're, we're something entirely different than those things first, and then these are added to that. Does that make sense? So if you want a title for the message, it's, it's really simple. It's called Gospel People. And I, I want to just make, the, make the, the claim that we are, those who are in Christ Jesus, are first gospel people before they're anything else. Uh, your life and my life, we take on different expressions. I think the call of God is multifaceted. Um, and the fact that um, part of the call of God for my life is I am a, a father. I am a husband, right? I am a, a, a pastor. Um, but if, you know, God forbid something horrible happens, I don't lose the call of God in, in my life. Make sense? Uh, I think we got to be careful not to be shallow enough in our response that our first go-to when answering the question of who are you is we just go right to what we think is the main identifier for our life. Let me tell you this, that Jesus is first and foremost the identifier for your life. But I'm also saying don't make your conversation awkward, right? Um, so this is more how you think about yourself every single day when you, you get up in the morning. This is your profession, but behind that profession, you're a gospel person on mission with Jesus. And there's goals that are gospel centered for every specific day. Now I think about this because when I consider how God introduces himself in the text, when we go to Exodus chapter 34, we see God is having a conversation with Moses and how he introduces himself to Moses is pretty interesting. We know this about God. We know that he is, scripture reveals that he is the almighty, which is all powerful, omnipotent God. We also know that he is infinite, meaning he is self-existing. Colossians 1 verse 17 says, and he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Yeah. We also know that God is holy. And the one called out to another and said, this is Isaiah saying this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We also know that God is sovereign, that he is self-sufficient. He has no needs. He's omnipresent. He's all places at once. That's baffling. Psalms 139, the writer says, where can I go to escape your spirit, to be away from your presence? The answer is nowhere. He's all present. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's perfect in wisdom. Paul writes, oh, the depth of the riches, both wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his, his ways. He's, he's all of these things. He's all the omnis that you've ever heard uh, a preacher uh, talk about. 
He is everywhere at once. He's all powerful. But though he's all those things, that's not what he first reveals to, to Moses. What he says to Moses in Exodus chapter 34, verses six and seven, it's the Bible verse that is quoted the most times by the Bible. You can see it throughout the Psalms. You can see it in through the, the New Testament. And so if it's the, it's the Bible verse that's most referenced by the Bible itself, I say it's a really important yeah. Bible verse. Yeah. And it's God's self-disclosure. Yeah. It's revealing who he is. He's all those things I mentioned, but this is how he chooses to introduce himself to Moses. And it reads this, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love, yeah, keeping loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. But he by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, responding to transgressions of the fathers by dealing with the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The first word he uses, think about it. He could reveal anything. He could have encouraged Moses by saying, I'm the all-powerful God. Let's start there. Or he could have said that he's the God who is here to enact judgments on a wicked and corrupt people. But he doesn't. What he says is he goes, I am the compassionate one. I am the merciful one. I am the God full of grace. The God who is slow to anger. I'm the God who abounds in loyal love, not just for a generation, but for thousands of generations. I'm the God, Moses, listen to this. I'm the God who forgives iniquities, sins, and transgressions. I'm also the God who takes justice on the unjust of the world. I don't let the guilty go unpunished. But first and foremost, what you have to know about me is that I'm the God who is full of compassion. I don't think oftentimes that when we read or consider the Old Testament that that's the first thing that we think about in our mind about God. But this is exactly who he is. And we see that these traits, they prove themselves and show themselves all the way through, through Scripture. And I think about it. I think about God being compassionate, gracious, slow to anger. I know Pastor Chris mentioned this the other day, but he asked the question, does, does God get angry? And the answer is yes. It just takes a lot to get him angry. But there's an anger to God that, that he does manage. And he is able to manage it without uh, contradicting himself and his very nature and character of love. We see that he's abounding in, in love. He's faithful. Aren't you grateful that God is faithful today? And some of you are like, well, what's that about that last part about the whole visiting like second, third, fourth generation? That sounds, that doesn't sound loving. Well, that's a picture of what sin does in the life of a household. Um, you typically have, especially uh, in Old Testament time, you have two, three, four generations living in one roof. And you know this in one household, you know that the effects, the sin of fathers and mothers, it, it does have a negative effect on children and children's children. Um, but the point of God revealing himself in this way is not to fixate on that right there. It's to compare the fact that he says his loyal love abounds for thousands of generations. So it's, it's completely unbalanced, meaning that his love and faithfulness overwhelms the evil, the wickedness, and the devastation of sin that it's, it's marked and defaced on, on, our, on our world. Uh, this is the God that we serve. 
Why do we start there? Why did God start there is a question that I asked. And I think it's because he wanted us to fundamentally know this about him. For his, he wanted us to know that compassion and faithfulness and loyalty towards his people is a bedrock for managing and maintaining the proper relationship with him. I think it's also because he knows how horrible and how interesting uh, life can be sometimes uh, because of the effects of, of sin. How sin works in a way to, it disfigures uh, what God calls and created good. It works over time to try and graffiti and disfigure that. Uh, sin is anything that works against the will and the purpose and the person of God. Anything that tries to counter his goodness would be something that would be in that category of evil and sin. Did God create evil? No. Uh, but it did find its way into our world somehow. And you can ponder that with a lot of other people who are a lot smarter than all of us combined and still you're not going to get a good answer. But what we do know based on what we see around us is that evil is a real thing and it disrupts what God establishes as good. God in the beginning, you see in Genesis chapter one and two, he, he opens up by creating an ordered universe with the picture of human flourishing, which uh, the Bible would define as the shalom activity of God. It's the fact that he's created you and I to flourish in relationship, flourish in our vocations, flourish in every pocket of society. But evil comes in, sin is entered, and it disrupts all those things. Uh, it tries to disfigure image bearers. Uh, we see what God does in the opening chapters in Genesis. It's pictures of he creates distinctions and he creates unions. He creates boundaries. And I'm grateful for boundaries. Take the ocean, for example. I love the fact that there's a coastline. I love the fact that there's a shore, that the ocean comes to the edge of it and it doesn't cross over. When it does cross over, what, what happens? Well, it's destruction. We know, uh-oh, something's happening, something's wrong. When the ocean waters go beyond their boundary point, that's a picture of sin. And it happens all the time within our own lives and our culture and our society. Uh, and I think this is one reason why God reveals to Moses. He's saying to Moses, to Israel, you, Chris mentioned this a couple weeks ago, Israel also known as these golden calf worshipers, to you and I included in that. He's saying this, because of the effects of sin, because life is going to get very, very interesting, uh, know this, that you got to go back to understanding when it doesn't make sense, when you're overwhelmed, when you don't know the beginning from the end and top from bottom and things are confusing and chaotic for you. Remember at 2 a.m. in the morning when you wake up with a panic attack or you're filled with anxiety, remember that the God who approaches you, the God who calls you is a God first of compassion, first of mercy, first who's slow to anger and abounding in loyal love for generations. Not only that, but he didn't stop there. He also forgives sin, iniquity, and transgressions. And he takes care of what's been wronged in our world. I love how God introduces himself to Moses and to us. God of compassion. Rich in mercy. A God who absolutely cares. See, when you look at sin, sin, it is. It's, it's a disruptor of all that's good. It opposes everything that God has established. It seeks to 
take the distinction that he's made and blur them. It takes the, the unity and the union that God has created and it attempts to rupture those unities. That's why you see such an attack on family relationships. Uh, you see attack just even on uh, God's idea called his church. Um, the fact that uh, there is a spirit of the age that tries to come against the church, it just points to the fact that the church is a really powerful entity of the kingdom of God being his idea. And there's just something powerful with Christians and all their mess and muck and disabilities and shortcomings and all that coming together and still in our inability to fully understand who God is, we still in one accord say, we're going to worship you. We trust you. That, that's a picture of faith. It's, yeah. it's taking your, in my inability to understand everything because we don't, dis, we don't share those divine attributes and it's, it's a willingness, even in our lack of understanding, to have this worshiping faith that says, regardless whether I understand it all, God, today I choose to trust you. That's, that's a gospel person. I choose to trust you that you are moving and you are ministering in ways in my life that I don't always see, but also in, in my neighbor and in, in people uh, that are across the globe from me, that you're, you're doing these things. But sin does the opposite, right? Um, I thought about it. Uh, I'm so grateful that God doesn't introduce himself the way sin would introduce itself. Um, if it was the spirit of this age, which Paul would recognize the spirit of the age would be any satanic inspired system that tries to, to oppose God and influence culture in, in a dark way. Um, if that introduced itself to us in the type of verse setup that God does in Exodus chapter 34, it probably sounds something like this. It probably sounds something like the spirit of the age, the indifferent and boorish spirit, quick to anger and abounding in hate and faithfulness for generations, harboring offense and resentment and champion sin and rebellion. What's my point? My point is that's the spirit of the age that is influencing our culture and influencing uh, people throughout, throughout the world. Uh, but this, is, this isn't a downer message. This is an upper. This is uh, saying this, that uh, it doesn't have the last say. Yes. That spirit, right. evil, it didn't have the first say. It doesn't have the, it doesn't have the final say. Yeah. It didn't speak first. Hear me now. And it doesn't speak last. God speaks first. God spoke first over you. And guess what? He has the last say over you. So those sin is a dominant thing. Even Paul talks about it. It says it just, it works on them and it's, it's dominant. And it is, you can't defeat sin by yourself. I am no match for sin by myself. Will you pastor and church go big deal? It seems like you have a fun personality. It's okay. It's sometimes dry. Uh, none of those, none of those things. Solo. Sin dominates me if I'm apart from Jesus. But because Jesus is in our story, and maybe you're saying, well, he's not in my story. Well, I'll say yet. He's not in your story yet. Just, just hold on. Trust me. Um, Jesus, because what he's done in defeat and death, hell, and the grave, though sin has been dominant, sin is doomed because of Jesus. Uh, meaning that we can have hope today as New Testament believers, as people living in, here in the 21st century, that just because there's broken things in us, that's not 
the complete definition of who we are in our lives. But we are overcomers. Come on, we're victorious because of the works and the mission of, of Jesus. Sin, one writer says, is a fearfully powerful spoiler of the good, but it cannot finally overpower either the original or the renewed project of God in our world. And God is in the process of renewing our world. Amen. The mission uh, and majesty of God is, is on display. I think in, in the midst of a sin-spoiled world, we can take heart because we have an example to follow. In our example of Exodus 34, as we look through even the New Testament passages, is evidence in, in the life of Jesus. Why? Well, because it's God himself taken on human form. He comes into our world as the God-man, Jesus, and he doesn't change who he is. You see that throughout every story in the New Testament, you're going to see pictures and evidence that Jesus first leads with compassion when reaching and rescuing people. We see that he's the, 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 the God-man who operates. He's slow to anger. Does he have anger? Yes. But he manages the tension well to where he doesn't allow it to cause him to sin. Uh, but he shows that there's an anger that can be balanced well with compassion. It's, it's a delicate tension to which we don't always do the best, right? Uh, I think when it comes to, if we're not careful, when it comes to compassion, uh, one thing that can create kind of a, a negativity uh, and a compromise in our compassion towards people is obviously sin. Sin is a disruptor of that, but it's also fatigue, right? I think just standard, like we get so wore out and tired based on maybe what we're experiencing, our life, what's going on in us. But then we, we read something or we hear something, something said to us. Uh, and it's just another story of just kind of doom and gloom. And if we're not careful, uh, we become indifferent to the stories and to the situations of people around us and just kind of get stuck in our world, in, in our little bubble, and we just kind of go from point A to point B. And then right. years go by, and we can't remember the, the last person that we, yeah. we were a gospel person to. Wow. And I'm not saying anything that I haven't wrestled with myself and something that God just continues to work in and through me. Um, but that, that's a, that can be a spoiler of compassion. But not only that, I, I think another spoiler of, of compassion can be um, to where we operate with too much anger. Like it's not regulated properly. It's uncontrolled. And what happens is then the, the blood leaves the gut and it moves towards the head and it's just hot-headed. Like everything is just... Um, emergency, it's fight or flight. Every situation is fight or flight. And um, I'm grateful for the effects of anger at times in our life, right? It, it, it is helpful. But I'm just so glad that God didn't say, I'm leading with anger first. And then there's some compassion thrown in as well. I love this balance that Jesus shows that he's compassionate, but he's also angry. What's he angry toward? Towards the individual? No, he's angry towards that spirit of unbelief. He's angry towards sin. He's angry towards that invader, uh, that vandalizer. Uh, he's angry towards uh, evil itself. And so he demonstrates, though, how compassion and a little bit of controlled anger, man, it really goes a long way to make 
a lasting influence and impact. And there's four motifs. I won't get into all of them, but when you look at, and we'll look at a few of them today, but we see the compassion of Jesus demonstrated in the story of a leopard. We see the passion of Jesus demonstrated in the story of a widow, one of his friends, and of a stranger. And the first one is in the gospel of Mark, Mark chapter one, verse 40. It's the story of a leper. And it reads this, now a leper came to him and fell at his knees, being Jesus, asking for help. If you're willing, you can make me clean, he said. Which, if you read that and consider the faith statement that's there is pretty incredible. He didn't say, if you're willing, I think you can make me clean or can you make me clean? He was making this faith statement. He was saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds, he stretched out his hand uh, and he moves, he's moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Jesus touched a leper. He says, I'm willing, be clean. And the leprosy left him at once and he was clean. And immediately Jesus sent the man away with a strong warning. He told him, see that you do not say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. So he's pointing them back towards uh, what you find in the book of Leviticus and the Mosaic law. But as the, men, as the man went out, he began to announce it publicly and spread the story widely so that Jesus was no longer able to enter any town openly, but stayed outside in remote places. Still, they kept coming to him from everywhere, which I love. Like the story of what happened to this, this man got out in the public. Now, if it was made up, if it was fabricated, Jesus wouldn't have been pushed to the outskirts of the town where there's people gathering in throngs to try and come and see who this prophet, who this, this character is. We see that Jesus, he touches this leper. Immediately, the leper is clean. He then gives instruction to go essentially to Jerusalem to ritually become clean based on the law. And why did he do that? Well, he didn't want this, I'll call him a young man. He didn't want this young man's testimony to be ruined or to be muted. By going to Jerusalem, what happens? People know that he was a leper and now he's not a leper. Yeah. They, they know that he was a, a person when you ask them, who are you? Essentially, all he could define himself as is, is a leper. And so he was defined by his condition. He was defined by his disease, by his, his sickness. Well, what else was he into? Like, what was his full story? We don't know. No one stopped to ask him that. They wouldn't get close enough except for Jesus. And Jesus does something that is just upside down when it comes to this world. He touches a leper. Instead of becoming unclean Jesus, we see the reverse happens. The leper becomes immediately well and cleaned. It's suggested in studying this verse that verses 44 and 45 is a gap. So it wasn't like he disobeyed Jesus when Jesus told him to go to Jerusalem and he's just like, whatever, I'm going to tell everyone. The, 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 the picture and the thought is he actually did go to Jerusalem and he went through the ritual temple cleaning process of the times away from people and, and the washing so that he could be reintroduced back into society as a whole person, individual, uh, with friends and family and relationship. Uh, and then from there, what does he do? He begins to tell his story about he was all by himself. Wow. He was in a leper colony. It was a section to where they lived, they, they existed, 
And the thing they had in common is they were just, they were, they were lepers. And they were known for people that are infected in, in body. I was reading Leviticus chapter 13. Just kind of give like a, a picture of what this man must have been experiencing. It says, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let their hair on his head hang loose and he shall cover up his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. This is the picture. So Jesus has compassion on the individual who's covering his upper lip and has to yell, unclean, unclean. No one wants to know anything more about him, just the fact that, okay, he's identified himself as being unclean, unclean. He, he can't be with the community. He's ostracized. He's kept to the margins. And I love the fact that Jesus crosses over with compassion. I think there's two motivating factors here. I think he is compassionate towards the man because of his physical infirmity. And Jesus knows he has the answer to heal. And he does that. But this is more than just a healing story. This is a dignity story. Because what he does when he heals the leper, he restores dignity back to him. So healing was a plus, but what he got back, what this guy got back was the ability once again to dream about the future. It was, it was the ability to just be curious enough to, man, what is ahead of life for me? Because I think he got to the point where he's all by himself. He's rejected. I don't know how long he hasn't been touched, but he's not been touched. There's not been human contact. He's been set over there with the other people. And Jesus loves going to the other people. He loves crossing over. He loves the eyes watching the back of his head as he goes over and doesn't speak at a safe distance, but he puts his hand right on the man whose skin is falling off and he pronounces healing over him. And it said immediately the man was healed. Let me tell you this. There's, I mentioned it thousands, tens of thousands of people that are being saved, that are giving their life to Jesus on a regular basis every single day. Do you also know that there are immediate healings that are taking place every single day? Every single day, worldwide, globally, people are encountering the rescuing power, the healing power of God. Well, it hasn't happened to me. Well, just because it hasn't happened to you doesn't mean that your story and maybe what hasn't happened to me, my story, is the full picture. You have to remind yourself that God is not a God who's dead. He's not asleep. He's not some uh, God who is not interested in you and I. He's very interested. And what is he doing? He is rescuing people with leprosy and immediately they're being healed. So what should your faith be as as a God person? as a gospel person, you should, you should believe for the God who is able to heal immediately. Well, what happens if I never see it in my lifetime? You should be the person who believes that God is able to heal immediately. Well, what if I've been praying forever and nothing's happened to me? You should be, if you're a gospel person, you should be the person who believes that God heals immediately. And what you're saying is this. You're saying, though I don't understand it all, this is what I've concluded. It doesn't start or stop with me. 
but I believe God, you're the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you're the God who revealed yourself in such a personal way to Moses and the crew. It's the same God who revealed yourself to me, to us today. And you heal, you rescue, and you save. It doesn't just stop here uh, at the leper. Uh, he also moves on as he addresses uh, the the disease, the sickness, the infirmity in this, this man, he also restores him to a place of social engagement. See, he was, he was rejected beforehand, but now I'm just think about the whirlwind, the change, the transformation that took place in his life, going from being by yourself to now being in full person form, fully restored uh, amongst uh, the, the public community. He didn't stop there, but he also... He also moves on and, and ministers to, to people that can identify as uh, losing someone, widows. Uh, there's a story in Luke chapter seven. In Luke chapter seven, it's a story of Jesus having compassion on uh, a woman who had already lost her husband. Now her son lies dead. And the compassion that Jesus must have felt towards her in the fact that, man, she's already lost someone who's most near and dear to her. Now she loses her son. I love how Jesus steps into the picture. He halts the procession and he tells the dead boy to get up and he gets up. He was fully dead. Now he's fully alive. What was Jesus doing there? He's moved with compassion, but he's also angry at the spirit of death. And so both compassion and this little bit of just anger uh, stirs in him to, to do something. If I'm completely angry, I will do nothing but be self-righteous. If I'm all compassion with no, no ounce of anger towards injustice, then I'll just, I won't go anywhere. I'll just be a warm blanket for people. See, there's that beautiful tension that you can be a just person, but you have to lead it with compassion. He does it with the leper. He does it with the people uh, who have rejected the leper. He shows them, no, this is what gospel people look like. We move into spaces like this uh, and we return dignity to people through seeing them. Kristen, Pastor Kristen Kelly's message, seeing them, right? Speaking well of people, being inconvenienced for the sake of others and really learning to give, to give our life away. So he does it for the, the leper, he does it for the widow and he does it for his friend in John chapter 11 is the story of, of Lazarus. Uh, this is where we see that Jesus wept and automatically we think, yes, Jesus had compassion because of the proof that, that he wept. Uh, but when you read the story over and over and over and over and over and over again, you realize that um, it ne- wasn't necessarily their tears that were making Jesus weep, right. right? I don't know if you've ever been there. You go into a room and everyone's crying and you're like, so you kind of get kind of get emotional, but you don't like, why am I getting emotional? I don't know, you're emotional, like everyone's emotional. Uh, That wasn't the picture here. I do believe that there was a compassion that goes out from the heart of Jesus towards this family because they they lost Lazarus, but I also believe that Jesus knew who he was and that he wasn't coming there just to like pat people on the back and say, you're gonna get through this. He was actually there to work something that we would call supernatural. He was already intending to speak Lazarus' name and have him come out right. dead and, and come alive. Um, I think if there was something he was angry over, it was probably the fact that these people that 
should have known who he is uh, were acting more like pagans in an unbelieving culture than actually believing in the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. The resurrection life is present with them in bodily form and they're weeping, wailing, and complaining as though he's just one of the other guys. And I think this is what invokes some of the anger of God. Like, no, 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 listen, I am not just one of the other persons. I am the living word. I am the great I am. I am a resurrection and life. And he explains that to, to Mary and Martha. And so I think that the weeping is, is both. It's a mix, once again, the tension of the compassion for the hurt they're going through, but also some of that frustration of uh, that spirit of unbelief. Remember, he's never, God's anger is never directed towards an individual. It's always directed towards that spirit of evil. Uh, that at times uh, it's, it manipulates and moves within the life of, of people. So that was the friend, and you can read more on that. Um, and then uh, there's another vignette, and it's the stranger. And I, I love this one. It's found in Luke chapter 19. Uh, Jesus, he looks up, and in a tree, he sees a guy by the name of Zacchaeus uh, who wasn't really liked by a lot of folks. Uh, and I love what Jesus says, I have need to go to your house. Yeah. Zacchaeus is like, well, me? I was just hopping up here to get a look to see who you are. And I love the fact that Jesus is not distracted by the people that are always just right in front of him. That what are gospel people, what should they do? Well, if we're taking on the example of Jesus, you should be looking around. You should notice people outside of your circle, my circle. We should walk slow enough throughout the course of our day that we're not so just wrapped up in the angst of culture and all that has to be done that we don't have any time to notice people uh, who need to be noticed. And uh, this is Zacchaeus' story. I love the fact that not only does he call him and have conversation with him, but I love the fact that Jesus goes to his house and then shuts the door (laughs) and then lets all the public Spot, spot out their opinions and what is happening. How could he? How could he is because I think what he's showing, he's showing what a gospel person embodies. It's someone who has the heart to and the courage and the, the love to reach out to those who are sick. It's someone who's able to identify with those who are suffering because of death. It's someone who is able to um, call out uh, just that unbelieving spirit, but with a heart of compassion. It's someone who is aware of strangers within their life and has the heart and the decency and the courage and the commitment because of the wonder of God to reach out to them and bring dignity into into their story, into their world. I wrote this down. I was thinking about like Matthew chapter 11. I'm almost done here, so the worst team could come up. Matthew 11, I love it. When we were singing a, uh, one of the songs earlier, I just, it came to me, I just wrote it down. And this is John the Baptist. He's in prison. And uh, it says this in Matthew chapter 11, verse two and six. Just listen to this. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting or should we look for another? Look elsewhere, somewhere else. This gets to Jesus. Jesus then responds back. 
He says, you, you tell John this, go back to John and tell him, ready? Tell him what you've heard and seen, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. I think, I don't have a wall to slide down, but if, I think when John heard that, if he was standing, maybe trying to talk to his disciples out through one of the, the holes in the wall, crack in the window, I think he probably slid down on the wall and it was like, I knew it. I, I, I knew it. That's, that's all I needed. What? The deaf here, the lame walk, the leopards are healed. Dignity is being restored to people. This is, I won't look elsewhere. This is the Messiah that we've been hoping for. What does it mean to be a gospel person? Well, I think it means to have the faith to believe that, that God can do anything that he wants to do. And that um, God is able to uh, restore. God is able to heal. You, I think you have to tell yourself every single moment of your life uh, that when you wake up in the morning, um, remind yourself that God is compassionate towards you. And some of you need to hear this today, that God's not, he's not uh, abounding in anger towards you. He's abounding in love towards you. Amen. He hates sin. Whew, he does, but uh, he's so compassionate towards, towards us. Uh, he forgives. And so what does it mean to be a gospel person? Does it mean to be a churchgoer? No. Does it mean to uh, be a part of you know, a political party? No. Does it mean to be a certain personality type? No. You can be all those things and still it doesn't line up to what it means to be a gospel person. Uh, a gospel person is a, a compassionate person. A gospel person is a merciful person. A gospel person is a, uh, a slow to anger type of person. A gospel person is a loyal love person. A gospel person is a forgiving person. I'll add this because this was God speaking to us. A gospel person is a repentive person. A gospel person is someone who knows how to apologize well. A gospel person is someone who uh, doesn't uh, shirk responsibility. A gospel person is someone who takes responsibility for sin patterns and evil even done in your life towards someone. Heard this the other day when it comes to nations fighting against nations. Uh, no one ever, 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 ever takes ownership of the first shot. So all fire is counterfire. All strike is counterstrike. So even our own life, if we're not careful, everything we do, it can be justified because something else has been done to us or towards us. We can hold on to offense or offend because we've somehow been mistreated. That's not a gospel person. A gospel person owns with responsibility what it is to be in a walking relationship with Jesus, identifying that we weren't clean before he got to us, but we're actually more like the leper all by ourselves, skin falling off. We were a mess of an individual because of the ravage effect of sin. But because of Jesus, 
Jesus moves into our story. He crosses that boundary line of separation. He touches us. He speaks to us. He looks in our eyes. He speaks value and worth. And he restores us to dignity. That's what a gospel person is all about. So I know this. I know that thousands of people are being saved every single day. Though you don't hear about it, you might not hear about it. Tens of thousands of people. I heard it was even up to 70,000. And you could probably try and fact check it right now and then correct me after service. That's fine. 70,000 people a day giving their life to Jesus. China is blowing up with revival fires all over that nation. Parts of Europe. Talk to Dr. Stan. The Middle East. Pakistan. There's people that are having these God encounters and their lives are being completely transformed. Places in Africa, are you kidding me? That, that continent is just being overwhelmed by the reality of Jesus. People giving their life to Jesus in record number. God is the God who heals immediately. I don't know what the leper, what his condition looked like, but what we do know is he was healed immediately and he wasn't called a fake for it because he was able to tell his story and it caused people to push Jesus out of town because there was not enough room because they were crowding so much. So many people were coming. I know that. I also know this, ready? That Christianity is not weird. Amen. And I struggle with it. As a young guy, whoo, I thought Christianity was weird. And the reason for it is because I approach Christianity the way I approach my Bible. I just read it every once in a while. And so I wasn't fluid in it. But then when I became fluid as being a gospel person, not perfect, but something I practice and try and live out every single day, it, wow, this is actually really, really normal. For some, it's like ice skating for like every, every five years. Have you ever seen someone ice skate for the first time? Everyone's fighting for that little wall. And it looks like their feet are like convulsing and it's just, it's just, it's not pretty and people don't gather around to watch. If anything, like, yeah, wow, look at that, poor guy. But have you ever someone who's just lived on the ice? Someone who, it's, it's, it's their home? You're talking about a penguin? No, like, like a figure skater, a hockey player, right? It's like, they, from when they, parents could put skates on their feet, they just, they were on the ice. There's something about it, like in the Olympics, right? Seeing someone under control, like being th- hurled through the air, like a, what, triple cowtails, toe loop. Yeah. And then they land it, and then it's got that rooster tail of ice when they come around, like, wow. That creates stadiums being packed to watch that. Or hockey players, are you kidding me? They're able to skate and work with their team and pass the puck and shoot. And then, if you're lucky, every once in a while, you can see a nice little fight break out on their skates. <laughs> Just kidding. That is so anti-kingdom of God. Um, <laughs> but you're like, you, you're leaning like, wow, that's something. I don't know. I've, I've had to ask myself the question, like, do people lean into to my life? Do people lean into our life and like, whoa, that is something. Like, they live that so fluid. It's like... I, I would love to be able to do that one day. That's what makes Christianity not weird. 
the more fluid, the more natural, the more we just live it every single day of our life, it just becomes second nature. Second nature. Paul says this. Paul says, and he quotes, essentially, he's just taking this from Exodus chapter 34. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and dearly loved. I love this. Clothe yourself. How many times do you clothe yourself? Thank you. Every day, thank the Lord. This is a praise break right there, that we all clothe ourselves today. Every day, we clothe ourselves. And so Paul says, clothe yourself, which means every day, when you clothe yourself, this is what you put on. Put on a heart of mercy or a heart of compassion. Clothe yourself with kindness and humility, gentleness and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If someone happens to have a complaint against anyone else, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also forgive others. And to all these virtues, add love, which is the perfect bond. And let the peace of Christ be in control of your heart and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and exhorting one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, all with grace in your hearts toward God. And whatever you do in word and deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. I think the goal today is as we're motivated by the love of God that's been towards us, it's evident through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I think our goal today is to out-compassion, out-love, out-forgive, out-patience, out-care for our neighbor in the world around us. How is the church gonna make a difference in our world today? By being a church that is known for, the world leans in and watches, whoa, look at their compassion. I think if we're being honest, Sometimes the opposite has been display. Look at them hold that wall and barely walk. I mean, they look like they've never put a skate on in their life. That's not the story of the gospel. That's not the story of of what God has intended the church to be, but it's to be a church that is evident, exampled in compassion, love, forgiveness, and patience, et cetera. So my prayer is let the Holy Spirit today the same spirit that worked in Jesus, the God-man, let that same spirit dwell in us every single day, motivating us to, to live out this bigger story, be people with gospel goals and minds, reflecting the image and, and the nature of, of Jesus in our world, walking in compassion, seeing people, speaking well of people, being inconvenienced for their sake and being people that are willing to give our life away. Amen? Let me pray that, but then I'm gonna pray, I wanna pray for parents, then I'll, then I'll hand off. Father, thank you today that, Lord, you called each and every one of us to, to a bigger story. And today I'm just asking that you would do something brand new within our hearts today that felt that when I got this morning, there's just a spirit of encouragement that's, Lord, you're, you're bringing to, to your people. And we just ask today that uh, you would continue just to reshape our life. If we've been away from maybe these descriptions, these descriptions of, of what you describe yourself to be, and even if Paul says what we're to put on every single day, I'm asking that you would, you would redirect, bring an edit to our life. Lord, we choose today, we make a commitment. You don't have to do this, but if, if you wanna make this commitment with me, just put your hand on your heart. Father, I'm just asking this. The heart represents the very control panel, the very control center of our life. And 
Lord, I'm asking today for, for us that want it that, Lord, you would just give us a new heart of compassion. Lord, any, any area of our life that we felt like maybe has been wore out and we've just been fatigued in areas, we've just become indifferent to maybe the concerns and the needs and the people around us. I'm praying that today you would just uh, remove that and just give us a, a brand new heart. It could happen in a moment. You're an immediate God. Lord, I'm asking today that you would just uh, cause our words and our speech and how we live to uh, exemplify what it is to, to walk in mercy and, and grace. Lord, that uh, we'd be, be people that we would be slow in anger and we'd be abounding in love. We'd be people today that our, our hearts, our lives, our family, our conversation, it just spills over into uh, image-bearing activity. It spills over into uh, just being contributors of the goodness of God and his kingdom. Lord, so do something brand new in our heart. Let us be people that we forgive well and we also repent well. Let us be people that praise well. Let us be people that worship well, but we also mourn well and weep well with those who are hurting and broken. Uh, let us be a church that is used to bring dignity back to people that it's been robbed from. And I pray, God, that even this week that there just be uh, opportunities this week to be on mission as, as God people. Oh God, we bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. If you're, if you're a parent, and I mentioned it at the very beginning, I know we're over on time, but uh, you, you know you just been, it's just, you can't explain it other than just being so fearful of the future of uh, what's gonna happen maybe with your kids and it's just hard to kind of just, just let God be who he is and trust God and you just would like some prayer just to, I, I believe, I think it's a spirit, right? And it's not one that God calls us to identify with, but something that just can be broken. If, if that's you and you'd be so bold and you just want to stand, stand with me, I'd love, I'd love to pray for you. So if that's you, you know who you are, your parent all over, yeah, yeah. Because I know this, I'm telling you. My wife went out of town and uh, I called her, I'm like, you go out of town and then immediately our house becomes a youth hostel. Like... It's not a big house. Like I got five, six boys that are just taking over the house. I don't even know where they're sleeping. Um, but being around, because I, I have a 17-year-old and 16-year-old, and uh, so I get it. Um, and this is something that I feel like the Holy Spirit just delivered me from a long time ago is uh, just that need to try and control everything. Um, and I had to give that up and just trust that God knows the ins and outs of their life and Psalms 139 they were created and shaped in their mother's womb and they've been perfectly formed and made the workmanship of God over your kid's life is marvelous how well God knows it he sees them being formed in utter seclusion, woven in the depths of the womb. He thinks about every single one of them he orders every one of their days before they take their first breath it says that he's with them every single moment. When they wake, God's with them. His thoughts towards your kids, hear me now. His thoughts towards your kids outnumber the grains of sand on any given seashore combined. So you can rest assured all day long and for a lifetime that God knows exactly what he's given you as these beautiful gifts. And Father, today, we thank you, Lord, for the young people that are represented by these standing parents. Lord, we know that you've shaped and you've formed and you've hardwired them with God DNA, that you've created in them future and hope 
and destiny. You've given them skills. You've given them talent. You're going to give them resources. There's going to be platforms given to them and they're going to surprise us all as they continue just to point to the wonder and majesty of Jesus. They're going to explain Jesus better than many of us. They're going to live out what it means to be in this relationship to where God is a God who is real, tangible. He speaks, he ministers, he moves. And Lord, we thank you for the young people that are represented in this house and for the parents that are standing, Lord, with me and with us. Lord, we thank you that you deliver us from a spirit of fear. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I thank you for the baptism of love today over every parent's mind and heart. Lord, that we would be able to say, God, we trust you every single moment of every single day, even when it seems like the storm is raging. Lord, we know, Lord, that you are the anchor that holds our family together. And Lord, there's not one thing that the enemy can do that can offset your perfect plan and mission for these kids. So we bind them to the perfect will of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that uh, as you think about these young people, as you think about these families, uh, just like from the very beginning, Genesis, Genesis 1, you said, this is a good thing. This is very good. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your disruptance of evil activity. And thank you for the joyous wonder, Lord of homes, celebrating, Lord of worshiping the King of Kings. New seasons, come on, new breakthroughs, families dreaming together, parents praying big, 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 big faith prayers. Lord, and anchor to the fact that you're the God who can. Lord, we love you as gospel people. We bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like to give towards this ministry, learn more about our church and events, or are in need of prayer, please visit capitalchurch.co.